2,700 miles would now separate Anthony Garcia from his parents and his home as Fred and Anthony pulled into Utica, New York to unload Anthony's belongings into his new apartment. His residency at Bassett St. Elizabeth Medical Center is to begin in short order. The beginning of July of 1999 to be exact, a mere two months after graduating from medical school, this was a residency program that did not stir the intellectual fires of Anthony as he had not been able to land a residency in a program that was more in line with what interested him within the field of medicine. Now, it's safe to say that a family medicine residency was very low on Anthony's wish list because, well, it meant that he would have to deal with people all of the time. And Anthony Garcia was not a huge fan of people in general and in a family practice Bedside manner is a big deal, as families develop trusting relationships with their family practitioners over time, and those relationships are the bedrock of any successful medical practice. Anthony did not consider himself to be a conversationalist, no, quite to the contrary. He is an intensely private person, who most people would consider to be an introvert. But after four and a half years at the University of Utah School of Medicine, where he experienced some failures and some successes, as most of us experience in life, he ended up graduating as a rather middling student. Anthony was not the type of candidate that residency programs around the country would be chomping at the bit to have sign a contract. No, he was viewed as an average student that went to an average medical school so Anthony was left having to accept what was offered to him. And that singular offer was from Bassett St. Elizabeth Medical Center. Now, if you aren't clear on why med school graduates have to do residencies, the answer is twofold. First, it is a practical continuation of their education, except it is in a specialized field of medicine as a residency can last anywhere from three to seven years. And second, is that without at bare minimum of at least one year in a residency program, you cannot get a state medical license from any state, which means that you can't even examine a patient without a supervising doctor. I think that all of us as potential patients are probably very much in favor of a doctor being required to have practical experience before they are licensed to either open us up for surgery or even give us a diagnosis because as I have said about cops and lawyers and really about any profession there are good ones and there are bad ones and doctors are no exception so Anthony Garcia was accepting a residency in a field of medicine that he had zero interest in practicing in for the rest of his career he was looking at this residency as a necessary evil in order to get his state license and this time that Anthony spent in upstate New York, well, let's just say it didn't go swimmingly. Welcome to Defense Diaries. I'm your host, Bob Mata, and this 
is episode lucky 13. Potential for a bold dismissal. We are shifting gears a bit in this episode as we are going to start filling in the gaps about just exactly who Anthony Garcia is. We've been pounding you over the head in recent episodes with regards to the fact that trial lawyers are storytellers and that in order to convince the jury that Garcia was the right guy, that the state of Nebraska was going to have to create a compelling narrative. What we will be doing over the next several episodes is deep diving into the facts that the state will end up using as the motive for the revenge theory narrative that they ultimately decided on using at trial. We know we keep teasing you with the Russian and Omaha PD's long-awaited meeting with them, and we promise we will get there, but not quite yet. So let's dig in. Education and hard work were two things that were common themes that were constantly talked about in the Garcia home by both Fred and Estella Garcia, as they had hoped for all of their children that they would achieve a higher level of success, both financially and professionally, than they had. And these conversations were not lost upon Anthony, as by the time he was 15 years old, he was taking undergraduate classes at the local community college. And by the time he was graduating high school in 1991, he had nearly earned an associate's degree. Directly after high school, he was accepted and enrolled in college, and he graduated from Cal State University in 1994 with a Bachelor of Science degree in biology. Without taking as much as a breath in his educational pursuits, he was then accepted to the University of Utah School of Medicine and matriculated there in the fall of 94. Anthony in his first year had some initial difficulties with the pace of medical school, but instead of dropping out, he powered through and was active in extracurricular activities and he volunteered at the student-run homeless center. The associate dean of students described Anthony's performance in medical school as follows, quote, he enjoys the intellectual challenges and the emphasis on the basic sciences that are associated with pathology. Therefore, he is pursuing a career in this field of medicine. Anthony has struggled more than some students during his medical school training, but he mastered the skills necessary to become a competent physician, end quote. So it's safe to say that while Anthony did not crush medical school, he didn't exactly eke by either. I think the best term to describe his performance was adequate. Now, it's interesting to note that the Dean of Students indicated that it was Anthony's desire to focus on the specialized field of pathology. So the fact that Anthony's performance in med school was adequate as opposed to extraordinary, he wasn't able to pick and choose what medical field he would perform his residency in, at least not initially. But there was a certain level of disappointment that accompanied Anthony on his trip to St. Elizabeth. And it was here that the state of Nebraska really started building its case against Anthony Garcia. Once again, after graduating from med school, Anthony had about a month to try and unwind before his residency program was to begin. Now, I'm no psychologist, but this guy has been in school, save for summer breaks, for 20 straight years. There was no gap year, ever, for Anthony to unwind and travel, expand his horizons, and to give his mind a rest. So burnout had to be a real concern for him. And this coupled with the fact that he was entering a residency program in which he had no true interest in pursuing long-term becomes evident in his performance and attitude 
in his first months at St. Elizabeth. During his first month of his residency, the focus was pediatrics, and during this time, he was not ingratiating himself with the staff at St. Elizabeth, as it quickly became a topic of conversation within that department that Anthony's interpersonal skills left something to be desired. And it wasn't necessarily his performance as much as it was his unwillingness to play nice with others. Several residents and staffers had seen fit to report to his bosses and advisor that he was difficult to work with, and in particular that he was treating his co-residents and the staff with a lack of respect that is typically expected from its residents. It became enough of an issue that in early August, Anthony was summoned to the director's office to have a sit down with his advisor to discuss the issues that several of the staff had with him. Now this would turn into several sit downs and the following report that we're going to be using to inform you about Anthony's time at St. Elizabeth is being used because it was from his advisor, but more importantly, it's because we love the way that he writes. In his report, which is kept in Garcia's file, the advisor states the following, quote, my brief initial precepting experiences with Dr. Garcia and the Family Practice Center were not in any sense remarkable. And it should be pointed out that other than the relative slowness and insecurity, which I would expect of any brand new student just beginning in an office practice in an unfamiliar setting, Dr. Garcia did come across both to the patients and this examiner as caring and reasonably aware of the expectations of the particular examinations and clinical encounters which were presented to him. Shortly before my initial meeting, however, on August 4th, I was advised of severe deficiencies in Dr. Garcia's performance and attitude reported in notes from two on-staff doctors. At that time, Dr. Garcia indicated that he was not aware of any personal or academic problems and that he understood that this could be a potentially serious issue, but also understood that the residency faculty and in particular myself were available to help him in any way that we could and would certainly work tirelessly to ensure that he could be comfortable in his training year, that he would be encouraged to learn as much as possible and that it was our hope that not only would he succeed as a physician, but indeed flourish. So that initial meeting was not the end of the world as the director had the wherewithal to understand that this was all new to Anthony. And as such, certain amounts of insecurity and slowness are to be expected. He tells Anthony that he's there for him if he's having a tough time acclimating. He then sets a follow-up meeting with Anthony to occur roughly a week later. The second meeting was described by the advisor as follows, quote, Again met with Dr. Garcia, having noted nothing unusual over the previous several days, with the exception that there are some complaints about his initial attitude and a tendency to, quote, be wooden, end quote, in his interpersonal style, occasionally given to seem uninterested or inattentive to the proceedings of medicine rounds and, at times, failing to carry out simple instructions or requests made by his attending and senior residents. It should be pointed out that I had noted in my initial meeting that his personal style tends not to emphasize self-expression, such as animated faces or what, in any sense, would be described as a lively sense of humor. But on the other hand, I had noted at that time no particular major interpersonal difficulties, at least which were in evidence. 
a meeting at the time of August 12th, during which further reports of dismay and frank alarm over his attitude and performance while at St. Luke's Memorial Hospital were discussed. It should be pointed out that Dr. Garcia evinced what would be best described as a flat affect, but he otherwise appeared to be processing the information, but did maintain a relatively blank expression and instead repeated, quote, I understand, end quote, and assured me that, quote, he would try to do better, end quote. He again denied that there were any personal problems of an emotional or situational nature and denied that he had any history or significant difficulty with learning or interpersonal skills. The only insight which Dr. Garcia showed into his situation, which could at some level be construed as normal, and indeed as even somewhat empathic, was that he indicated that in response to my concern that he was unusually quiet and did not impress people as being forthcoming when offered constructive criticism or when given the opportunity to express any problem or concern that he might be having. And he replied, quite interestingly, quote, well, the reason that I say as little as possible is that it seems that the more I say, the more I get into trouble, end quote. I indicated to Dr. Garcia that I understood this concern and that while I could identify with it at some level, it would be important for him to at least put forth verbal effort to give some, quote, sign of satisfaction to the other faculty members, attending medicine faculty, to nursing staff, or to patients themselves in the form of a verbal or gestural display to the effect that he is paying sincere attention and has every intention of acting in a reasonable response to the request made, questions asked, or concerns expressed. Now, I deliberately pointed out to Dr. Garcia that, in particular, he is not expected to socialize with hospital or family practice center staff to any extent beyond which he feels comfortable with. And while it would be appropriate to say a friendly and sincere greeting when entering a nurse's station or other such situation, he is not under any obligation to answer personal questions other than with polite monosyllables, and he's certainly not under any obligation to discuss his personal life or reveal much of himself, his preferences, or his personal concerns. What I did not indicate to Dr. Garcia at the time, but still concerns me somewhat, is the possibility that however dysfunctional he may ultimately prove to be or not to be, I believe that in a certain moment of insight he expressed in his remarks a crucial observation about the family practice residency and about his immediate situation. Although such has been anything but my practice, and it is well known that as both a preceptor and as a physician, I tend to be quite talkative, it also should be pointed out that I am well aware that Dr. Garcia has enunciated a fundamental truth, if not even a metaphysical or at least a philosophical truth about the St. Elizabeth Medical Center in general and the residency program in particular. And it is certainly true that many, if not most, well-meaning, self-generated and sincere remarks made in the service of this facility can and at times will be used against the person who sincerely expresses them. And whatever Dr. Garcia's issues, I would not want to construe his remark about saying as little as possible as either, quote, paranoid, end quote, or in any sense, quote, deviant, end quote. Again, I did not share this impression with him, but I have, over the course of the past three and a half years, felt exactly 
as he does, many, many times. The only difference, of course, is that I work very hard not to display it publicly. End quote. So this gentleman appears to be incredibly perceptive and genuine in his reporting. I've said this before, and I make no apologies in saying it again. Doctors have egos. I mean, we all have egos, but doctors have next-level egos. You know, with that whole God complex thing. And when you have that many egos in one building, those that do not play the game, that do not, at the very least, feign interest in whatever is being pontificated, well, that creates problems. And it certainly is creating problems for Anthony Garcia. The fact of the matter is that we all have to play the game. Most of us have to play it every day as we encounter people at work or out in public that we cringe at the mere sound of their voice. But we do, as this good doctor does, we work hard to not show our disdain publicly because that is how the game is played. At least if you want to win in the game of life. People do not enjoy being challenged, dismissed, or ignored. That's a fact. And if the receiver of this utter indifference is the wrong person, well, you can pretty much be guaranteed that someone up the food chain is going to hear about it. The fact that Anthony Garcia, for all intents and purposes, absolutely refuses to play the game, and that he will not say and do what the other person expects as a reasonable response, will become a running theme throughout his medical career. The man, simply put, has opted out of playing the game. This approach, which I completely get, by the way, because I can't stand playing the game myself, will not serve him well as he moves on throughout his life. And this decision by Anthony, whether it be voluntary or he simply couldn't bring himself to do it, ultimately will lead him right into the waiting hands of Omaha PD, who will not choose to view his refusal to act like we, quote, are supposed to act as a mere character picadillo, but instead will lead them to peg him as a sociopath. I keep saying it, folks. It's all about the interpretation and bending and twisting it so that it meets one's desired ends. That's the entire reason that we've included this report by this advisor, because he had no horse in the race, and he had no reason to be anything other than honest in his report. But of course, that portion of the report was given no weight by the county attorney when he read through the exact same report when they received it. Why? Because it didn't fit their narrative. It wasn't the means to the end that they were looking for. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, indeed. The advisor continued to get complaints about Garcia throughout the month of August, and he noted in his report that he had discussed Garcia with one of the other staff doctors who indicated, quote, among other things, he had found completely inappropriate notes in charts that had been written by Dr. Garcia. And furthermore, that Dr. Garcia was developing an even more obvious and even more frequent tendency to laugh inappropriately when confronted with staff requests patient concerns, miscommunications, or misunderstandings that he himself caused. In early September, as complaints about Garcia's attitude continue to roll in, the advisor notes, 
It should be pointed out that several attempts to meet with him informally have resulted with faint smiles and an indication that he is doing the best that he can and that he, quote, understands what is being asked of him, but that he has repeatedly denied any particular problems, including personal or interpersonal problems, emotional problems, concerns about substance abuse, situational difficulties, or any form of internal discomfort. He instead indicates that, quote, he is fine and that, quote, he is doing the best that he can, end quote, to learn medicine and to, quote, just get along in the program. Now, this is another section of the report directly taken from the report itself. In faculty meetings, it is suggested that neuropsychological testing be performed, although it's the advisor's preference that it be performed by a reputable psychologist relies on objective measures of behavioral and neuropsychological functioning rather than a more psychiatric model, which could easily be theory-laden and which will not only tend to reflect the bias of the evaluating or treating psychiatrist, but also would increase the likelihood that Dr. Garcia will be labeled with an inappropriate diagnosis and or medicated unnecessarily, both of which are concerns which I would very much like to avoid if possible. The advisor ends this report that covers the months of July through September with the following quote. Again, in summary, it should be pointed out that Dr. Garcia remains a complete enigma to me, and he indeed does to most other staff and preceptors. I will continue to work with him to the extent that he is willing to speak with me, but I am concerned that he is now under the cycle of fear and distrust which, if anything, has led him to be more taciturn than would actually be warranted. In the next week or so, I will again approach him in an attempt to have a sincere and non-threatening conversation." End quote. And as this occurs, it does nothing other than to make Anthony feel as if he's being singled out, which eventually turns into him truly believing that they are nitpicking every word that comes out of his mouth because they are discriminating against him because of his Hispanic heritage. Now, this may or may not be true, but what is clear is that the constant flow of complaints are now dictating how he responds to people when they interact. He clearly feels as if he is being gaslighted by a majority of the staff, as his reputation now precedes him. It's somewhat of a self-fulfilling prophecy, and one in which it seems beyond repair. Just think about any given circumstance in your own lives out there, where you have learned that either a friend or a coworker has thrown you under the bus repeatedly. Your natural response is going to be that you're going to bristle up and become prickly or worse to that person that is continually berating you. And that is exactly where Garcia's head is at this point. He's acting like an animal that's been cornered and is lashing out. The situation comes to a head in early December. At around 11.30 on a Friday night, Anthony is on call. He receives a page from the radiology department inquiring if he can come down because there's a young patient that needs a contrast injection. Now, this task is typically performed by a radiologist, but seeing that this is after hours, all of them are off duty. So Garcia is paged while he's in the midst of studying. Irritated, he calls back. The following is what the radiology tech reports to Garcia's supervisor. Quote, 
I asked him if he could possibly come down for a contrast injection. He immediately responds with an attitude and says, what is it with the contrast injection crap anyway? I explained to him that after hours, legally, we have to have a resident or a doctor present for the contrast administration for the patients. He tells me that he'll be down later on. I tell him, but the patient is on the table waiting for the injection. So if he can come as soon as possible, that'd be great. Dr. Garcia hangs up the phone. We wait patiently for 25 minutes for the doctor. I then call the third year residence pager and explain to her that I called Dr. Garcia and we've been waiting for quite some time. I ask her if she would come down for the injection. Five minutes later, Dr. Garcia shows up. From the very minute he walks into the department, he has a quote, attitude, end quote. He proceeds to walk directly into the control room and sits in a chair with his flashcards and studies them. It's clear to everyone that he's angry for being disturbed while he's studying. Dr. Garcia never once looked up at anyone in the room, didn't acknowledge anyone, never went in to look at the patient or the line in her arm. He never said one word to anyone. I proceeded to hook the patient up, inject her and run the scan and immediately go and unhook her to get her off the table. My main concern being that she is in pain and that she has been on the table for 45 minutes. While I was unhooking the patient from the injector, Dr. Garcia yells out, are we done? I respond yes and excuse myself from the patient and the aide and walk into the control room. As I enter the room, Dr. Garcia gets up to leave. Dr. Garcia totally ignores me. So I say again, excuse me, Dr. Garcia, is there some sort of problem here? He proceeds to walk out of the department, completely ignoring me. So again, I say, excuse me, Dr. Garcia, why are you ignoring me? I'm asking you a question. At this point, he turns around and literally screams, don't give me your shit, and continues to walk and leave the department. I walk back into the scanner room where the patient, her mother, and the aide all heard Dr. Garcia. I apologized to the mother and assured her that I would be reporting him she says to me, good, because I sure wouldn't want him to come anywhere near anyone I knew. Now, I get that Garcia wasn't an absolute joy to be around at this point in time, but he did come down, albeit begrudgingly, in order to do what he needed to do, which was be present for the injection. And remember, this very observant gal reported earlier that, quote, from the minute that he walked into the department, he had an attitude, end quote. So she's clearly aware that this doctor is irritated. So what possessed her to challenge him and proceed to poke the bear? Not once or twice, but three times by asking him, what's your problem? I've talked about doctors and their egos, and there is certainly a pecking order in hospitals. And doctors sit atop of that heap. No doctor is going to feel as if he is required to answer a radiology tech who is questioning their shitty mood. I have to say that the tech was certainly the antagonist in this particular situation, and she's not done complaining. She goes on, quote, in the two years that I've been in this department, I have never had a problem with any resident concerning a contrast injection. I try to avoid calling them, but sometimes it cannot be helped if an inpatient needs an injection after hours. 
Nevertheless, any resident that I have ever called has responded within five minutes. I have never had to wait more than 10 minutes. And if by some chance they are tied up, they usually say, hey, I'm busy right now. It'll be about 10 minutes. Or I can't really make it right now. Could you possibly page someone else? And then there is no problem. Whenever they show up, I have never, and she double underlined that, experienced anyone to be in a bad mood. Or if they are, they certainly did not show it or take it out on anyone. When the residents arrive, they always acknowledge the tech and then they go and check on the patient. And they always at least ask, what would you like me to do? Some of them will even do the injections for me. I don't even have a problem with him coming in and just sitting. It was the way he acted and the way that he made it clear to everyone around him that he was angry. Now, maybe it's just me, but if anyone seems angry at this particular situation, it's this tech who is feeling slighted and doesn't appreciate Garcia's perceived bad attitude. So she's irritated by this man. And with that, she takes it upon herself to find out what his problem is in front of the very patient and aide and mother that she's so concerned about. This doesn't seem to me to be the time nor the place to give some doctor the business. Oddly enough, she needs another assist with an injection at 7.30 a.m. And once again, she pages the resident's beeper and none other than Dr. Garcia responds. She asks him if he can come down for the injection. He says yes and hangs up. She states in the second complaint, quote, that she waits for 17 minutes for him. He again comes in, doesn't speak to or acknowledge me. He sits in the chair studying some papers. He did not have the same attitude as the night before. After the injection, I told him that it was complete, thanked him, and he left the department. Also, end of report. Now, why did this tech feel compelled to write a second report regarding this interaction? It's hard to know, but it certainly appears that she had an ax to grind. Now, if you're wondering why we have spent a rather lengthy amount of time apprising you of these particular exchanges, and the reason is this. This report dated December 4th was apparently the straw that broke the camel's back, as on December 7th, Anthony Garcia received a letter from the program director informing him that due to concerns about arrogance, laziness, and inappropriate interactions with staff and fellow residents, and further, that she had just received a, quote, very disturbing complaint regarding your behavior this weekend, your lack of professionalism expressed to the radiology staff, as well as the callous disregard for the comfort and safety of that young patient with an undue delay in completing assigned duties, indicate irreconcilable differences between you and the program. Effective immediately, you are placed on suspension. She further informs Garcia that there will be a further investigation by the committee. Shouldn't that have happened before they suspended him? and that she will present her findings to a fair procedure review panel, which he has the opportunity to appear before to defend his actions. The board will then have the option to reinstate, place you on probation, or dismissal, which by the way was in bold. Garcia in response sends a you can't fire me because I quit letter on December 9th, which reads as follows. For the last five months, I have been harassed, mistreated, threatened, 
and false and exaggerated accusations have been made against me. When I try to defend my actions, I am only harassed more. For this reason, I will join the many residents who have left this program. Medical records need to be contacted in order for me to complete my charts. Make all correspondence in writing only. Do not make any threats in your writing. Sincerely, Anthony J. Garcia. With that, Anthony Garcia's time at Bassett St. Elizabeth Medical Center has come to an end. This resignation would become the first piece of the puzzle in the state's case-in-chief against Anthony Garcia some 14 years later. Talk about a permanent record. There is one thing that I'd like to mention with regards to this sordid affair. On July 27th of 2001, some two years after, the New York State Board for Professional Medical Conduct sent its findings to the very same program director that saw fit to suspend Garcia. They inform her that they have completed their investigation into the resignation of Anthony Garcia. And in conducting their investigation, they reviewed Dr. Garcia's entire residency file and other relevant documents, in addition to conducting numerous interviews with administrators and staff from Bassett. At the conclusion of the investigation, the matter was reviewed by the investigation committee. The committee analyzed the investigation carefully and concluded that a charge of professional misconduct could not be sustained against Dr. Garcia. So the New York State Board didn't quite see it the way the staff at Bassett saw it, and Garcia was found not to have committed professional misconduct, which is a very big deal as these types of actions follow you throughout your career. The next stop for Dr. Garcia will end up being the residency program in the pathology department at Creighton University's medical school. And this period of time in Anthony's life would end up becoming the heart of the state's case against him. We will get to it, but not right now. Let's get back to 2008 and see what Omaha PD is up to. It's mid-December and Detective Scott Warner has definitively located the Russian. Warner has learned that he is in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. He runs this info by his bosses and they give him the go-ahead and the funds to travel internationally to interview the Russian. But they tell him that he needs to bring a Fed with him, it being international and all. Warner is fine with that and calls over the Omaha FBI office and talks to Special Agent John Robitaille, who has been assisting OPD with the Blanchard and Hunter Sherman cases. Warner asks if he would like to assist him and take a trip up to Canada to interview the Russian. Robitaille is game and agrees to make the trip. In short order, tickets to Calgary are booked, and on December 16th of 2008, Warner and Robitaille board a plane destined for Calgary. They land safely and make their way to their hotel and settle in for the night, as tomorrow is going to be a big day, as they are finally going to get to talk to the Russian. Maybe, if he's willing to talk to them. Both men, but especially Warner, are anxious to conduct the interview as they both drift off into a sound sleep. The following morning, with the assistance of Detective Paul Wozni of the Calgary Police Service, Warner and Robitaille are transported to the Calgary City Medical Examiner's Office, where it just so happens that the Russian is employed. Now, the boys have not given the Russian the heads up that they were coming. Now, they thought it would be best that they surprise him 
you know, so that they could get an authentic read on his initial reaction to their presence. They arrive at the medical examiner's office at 8 a.m., a full half an hour before it opens. So they sit in their vehicle, parked parallel to the entrance of the building, flipping through the files that they have created on the Russian, which of course include a headshot acquired from Creighton from the days back when the Russian was employed there. At exactly 8.30 a.m., Warner says, hot damn, I got eyes on our boy. All three men consult the photograph and agree that indeed, that the man that is walking directly in front of their vehicle is in fact the Russian who has arrived for work. The three cops ready themselves to enter the building. They get their files in order, they check their looks in the mirror, and at 8.45 a.m., they enter the medical examiner's office and approach a pleasant-looking young woman seated behind a large counter. May I help you? Yes, we would like to speak with the man that we refer to as the Russian. They, of course, use his full name. Fifteen minutes later, the Russian appears. Will the boys in blue get the answers they seek? Will the Russian even agree to speak with them? What are the laws pertaining to rights to counsel when being interrogated by police up in Canada? Will Darren let me use a Russian accent when performing the interview between the cops and the Russian? Find out these answers and more on the next episode of Defense Diaries. Hey guys, I'd be remiss without giving some shout outs to all those people that make this show happen. First and foremost, my man, my brother, my partner in crime, Darren Wood, the EP, the man who makes all the magic happen back there. Thanks, D. You're the best in the business, baby. To Taras Hawaluski and Ryan Gack, who handle all of our musical magic. Thank you guys. You guys are the best. And remember, if you all have Spotify, Taras has a band called The Herd. They're dope. Check them out. Gak has a band called Nasty Snacks. Both are streaming. Check those bands out. Alex Carver, thank you guys for handling the socials and all our graphics. And finally, to my wife, Allison, who I love and adore, thank you, thank you, thank you for handling all the business with the firm. Let me try to do what I'm doing with this thing and make it a monster someday, hopefully in the near future. And finally, finally, to our patrons, we appreciate you beyond words because your support means so much to us and it actually really helps us produce the show and continue to do this. So you are loved and we are, I promise, I promise we're going to have more content for you guys coming up. We're going to start doing the live streams weekly um, and that'll include both Darren and I. So all you guys out there dying to get a little more Darren time, that's going to be coming in the near future. And then finally, to you, our beloved listeners we love you we love you we love you thank you for listening every week because without you i'd just be an old man talking about an old case talking to you next time